episode 111 of the Cinefessions podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name's Brandon Shawin, and joining me tonight is my co-host, Mark Nadeau. Mark, how the hell is everything going this cool fall evening? Good. I'm actually wearing a hoodie and a hood over my earphones because it's actually quite cold in the house. Oh, Melissa man. likes it cold. I enjoy it cold, but my okay. nipples are ripping my shirts up. <laughs> Be careful. They might get irritated after a while. Yeah, I put some uh, some running tape on them. Good for you. Good for you. Excellent. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's actually interesting. It's not only the eyes that will bleed tears. <laughs> Ah, the more you know. That's what we do here uh, is is inform and teach. So you're welcome. Dropping knowledge on you. That's right. <laughs> that knowledge. <laughs> 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 so tonight we are going to discuss the seventh film in our Corman Poe cycle with The Mask of the Red Death from 1964 and then move over to round 41 of the Besting the Backlog Challenge where we'll talk about Green Room and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I'm excited for that segment tonight, so... Hell yes, yeah. let's do this. I had forgotten what I'd selected for you. Oh, and okay. As I'm hitting my preview post for the podcast for this yeah. week, I was racking my brain and I'm like, <laughs> what did I give you? I just That's couldn't hilarious. remember. So I didn't it. That's really funny. Really yeah. good. Because my brain is as, uh, as, uh, I, yeah, see, there you go. My brain is much. <laughs> I'm bleeding from the nipples. Yeah. I'm drooling <laughs> brain juice from my ears. Oh, where's the video cast when you need it? I man, might man. be turning into something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm actually getting afraid now. I'm going to have to call my doctor after this uh, recording. Oh, man. Well, good luck w- with that. That's for sure. So before we jump into all that, though, let's uh, talk about how you can find us on social media. Yes. You can find us at Cinefessions on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. You can email us at contactthecineffessions.com, and you can also leave us a voicemail at 1-302-448-TALK. That's 1-302-448-8255. And check out our long list of past reviews and all 111 podcast episodes right at cinefessions.com. Also, make sure you give our first ever episode of the Cinefessions podcast special edition, a listen, which you can find on our iTunes page or over at the website. The the Cinefessions podcast special edition is our brand new bonus series that we're planning to eventually turn into our Patreon supported bonus episode so that you guys have a reason to donate to the show every month. For now though, this episode's free. And on this episode, the first volume of it, as we're labeling them, just so they're different from our main show, uh, Mark and I, uh, we reviewed the brand new film in the Saw franchise, Jigsaw, so definitely give that one a listen if you've seen that film in theaters already. That was really fun recording that. And I loved revisiting the Saw franchise again. It was it was awesome. Yeah, me too. It was like a trip down memory lane. On a, yes, exactly. On right. a very scary block. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't want to live there. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And also, if you are a fan of the show, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, The iTunes reviews are essential to helping us grow. So thank you in advance for uh, your support there. And as as we have been saying, just as importantly, if you do like the show, just tell a friend about us. The more people that know we exist, the more people that can try us out. And hopefully they'll become interested in what we have to say and, and want to tune in every week, just as you do. So we thank you guys so much for the support, whether it's by leaving us a review, by telling a friend, or best case both ways so thank you guys yeah we 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 love it both ways 
Yes. <laughs> Truer <laughs> words have never been spoken here on the podcast. <laughs> oh, man. So, Mark, what have you been doing this past week? Oh, man. <laughs> um, movie-wise, not too, too much. Okay. Um, uh, you know, we uh, we uh, had our episode uh, recorded before Halloween. So, uh, on Halloween, I was able to squeeze in a screening of Halloween and Halloween 2, which actually was only the second time I'd ever seen it. Um, Yeah, that surprises me. Yeah, I I never had it on DVD. And then I picked up the Screen Factory Blu-ray of it. But then I picked up the Halloween uh, Collector's Edition collection. So uh, so I had two copies of Halloween 2, which I gave some away for nothing, which I'm stupid. Because I could have made 30 (laughs) bucks on a slipcover. Right. uh, Halloween 2... I feel like Halloween 3 seems to be the the poster child of like, we hate you, but we love you. Yeah. I, don't, I don't see a lot of people talk about Halloween 2 that much. Um, and as much as I love Halloween, I kind of like Halloween 2 because it gets, it's, it's a little more, it's a little dirtier with its kills, you know. Um, it's a lot more, it feels more like an 80s slasher film than Halloween did, even though Halloween 78 kind of kickstarted the slasher genre halloween 2 feels like an 80s slasher there's the boob there's the lewd guys you know there's the cooler kills um what i didn't like about it and this was the first time i watched it in 5.1 surround sound uh just because prior to that i didn't have that set up in my old uh, condo in quebec um was the sound you know they reused the carpenter theme of halloween but they use it with like weird like yamaha synthesizers it just it felt recognizable, but it felt wrong. I just, I didn't like it so much. Um, and I thought Loomis kind of goes a little off the deep end in this film. Um, <laughs> I have to watch 4 and 5 again because it's been a long time. But I thought he went kind of mental after Halloween's events in Halloween 2. You know, they kill uh, an innocent person dressed up as uh, Mike Myers. And right. it's his fault the kid dies, but he doesn't feel the repercussions towards it, uh, towards the event. Um, it was just an odd film. And the way the film ends with the explosion, and then he comes back in four and he's got a bit of a scar in his face. I'm like, how did he survive that? So I really need to rewatch four and five because one, they're, I think they're fun films. Um, and it's been very long mm-hmm. since I've seen them. Uh, but just in relation to two, how it kind of ties back in again. Um, so. Uh, yeah, so I watched those two. And apart from podcast films, I didn't get to watch a lot of stuff. Um, on a night shift, for the first time, I did see uh, from 1987, Some Kind of Wonderful. It's a John Hughes-produced and written film, but it was actually directed um, by, uh, let me go back here, by Howard Dutch. And according to Letterbox, like he directed some awesome films, uh, Pretty in Pink, um, the Great Outdoors, which I freaking love. Um, not the whole 10 yards, the odd couple, two, whatever. But uh, yeah, um, I had never seen it before. I loved it. Uh, Ilias Kotas, who plays Casey Jones in the first Ninja Turtles movie. And I'll always know him as Casey Jones because that's my first recollection of him <laughs> in film. Um, he plays mm-hmm. a skinhead. Uh, really a punk bully. But he's awesome. Like him and... Um, him and Eric Stoltz's character, you know, they start off as rivals, become friends because of the tension, because all the good stuff happens at the tension. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I just love the film. Like I'd never seen it before. I thought Mary Stuart Mastin was awesome. Uh, Leia Thomas was great too. Um, I thought the idea of the film was a little dumb. Like, you know, the guy spends his first year college tuition money to fund a date with the popular girl in school because he's from the other side of the tracks and she's rich and he's poor, blah, blah, blah. Um, kind of mm-hmm. silly, but I still thought it was a fun film to watch. I really dug it. It only took me 20 plus years to watch it. Um, <laughs> and really my only other film this week, uh, I went to see Thor Ragnarok yesterday in IMAX 3D. Oh, very um, good. Yeah. Again, no spoilers because I don't like to spoil, but uh, it was fucking awesome. I loved it. Good. Um, the director, it's, uh, I want to make sure I get his, uh, the pronunciation of his name here because I do like him a lot. Um, it's uh, Taika Waititi or Waititi. He's the one who directed What We Do in Shadows and Hunt for the Wilder People, which I absolutely loved, which is on Netflix right now. Um, so he's got his brand of, it's kind of like office humor, like the office where like the characters, it's like a mockumentary almost where they, you know, the characters speak to the camera. Mm-hmm. So, in Thor, obviously, he doesn't do that. But he talks out loud to himself a lot in that kind of style. Um, and the, just the film is funny. Like, I laughed out loud a lot. And uh, usually you laugh out a bit, you know, at some Marvel stuff with some li- some one-liners. But the whole, like, the script was hilarious. I thought that um, Kate uh, Blanchett as Hela was an awesome villain. I wanted to see more of her. Um Tom Hiddleston is back again as Loki. Uh, Idris Elba's back. Uh, Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster. Hilarious. Uh, Tessa Thompson, which I wasn't sure where I'd seen her before, but I'd seen her quite a few things after I checked her IMDb. Uh, she plays Valkyrie. She was fantastic. Um, I-, I loved it. I really, If you like Marvel movies, you'll love this one. I had a small debate on my Facebook last night with uh, with my buddy Mike about which Marvel film is the best one this year. He thinks it's, it's Guardians 2. I recall not liking Guardians 2 as much. I got to watch it again. Um, I'm still debating if I like Spider-Man Homecoming more than Thor. It's really neck and neck. Um, but yeah, Thor Ragnarok is the best Thor film out there right now. Uh, it rivals a lot of the other Marvel films. Um, I don't know how Black Panther is going to stack up to Thor Ragnarok. Again, it's a different type of movie. This is a galactic buddy movie. I'm not sure what uh, Black Panther is going to be yet, but uh, I'm going to go see it on the opening weekend, even though I wait till Tuesday to watch this one. Um, loved it. Um, so apart from that, uh, gaming-wise, I did fuck all. I didn't have time. But uh, right now, those who follow me on Instagram, on my regular account, I didn't post any of this on Cinefessions just because I don't want to flood people's feeds that just followed for the movie stuff. But uh, Impact Wrestling is in town for, it was for a pay-per-view on Sunday night, Bound for Glory 2017, and then a whole week of uh, TV tapings. So went to the pay-per-view, had like fourth row on the floor. It was fun, but it was crowded. And... uh, it's like a, t- a typical WWE pay-per-view. It was kind of ho-hum. So the rest I wanted to see the most was Rosemary. And she was supposed to fight at this pay-per-view against Taya Valkyrie. But she had to pull out for some personal reason that I don't believe was disclosed. Um, so she just did a run-in. So I was kind of bummed out about that. And uh, what really sucked was the merch table. So it's a sold-out show. Like, the place is packed. 
and they had me beat. That's shocking in and of itself. Yeah, but <laughs> it's a small venue. I'm thinking maybe at the okay. most they had a thousand people. Oh, okay. Maybe, uh, and maybe that maybe that's all. Maybe eight hundred, but it, fr- from the size of the, like the, the size of the venue, it was it, it it looked packed. Anyways, so the merch table. So I want to get some rosemary merch. They had five T-shirts. And like they had a moose t-shirt, they had an uh James Storm t-shirt, LAX t-shirt, and like a t-shirt for the actual pay-per-view, which yeah. I did not buy because I'm like, ugh, whatever. But I'm like, I asked the guy, I'm like, do you have any rosemary stuff? And he goes, Yeah, we have a hat and a shirt, a hat and a toque or a knitted cap. And um mm. I wanted like a t-shirt. He goes, Yeah, well, we're gonna unveil them as the week progresses. I'm like, why would you do that? The place is right. packed. So I didn't buy any merchandise. So, you mm. know, it's going to go towards another wrestling event or whatever. Um, right. But then I had tickets for the TV taping on the Monday night. Okay. At most, 150, maybe 200 people. Oh, wow. Like, what what upsets me is that when the tickets were released, I bought tickets right away. Mm-hmm. And I paid extra tickets, second floor, or second row seats on the floor. Okay. Awesome. But I guess ticket sales sucked. So they're saying at the pay-per-view, if you have pay-per-view tickets, you can get in for free all week this week. So oh. I'm like, that's like, I spent a hundred bucks on tickets for two events. Yeah. And now you're giving away tickets for free. That's well, ticket sales are pretty so bad that they've uh, asked a casting agency to offer free tickets and $50 to watch the event. So I submitted Holy my shit. name. For tomorrow night, for Thursday, which is yesterday, if you're recording this, if you're watching this on Friday, um, for for the for the for the Thursday event, and I never heard back, but I'm friends with the the local promoter in town, and he's got me tickets waiting for me for for tomorrow for free. But uh, nice. I'm just bummed because I gotta go see wrestling every day this week. Of course, mm-hmm. one I don't want to because by the last day I'll be so jaded and tired of seeing. You know what I mean? Um, but uh yeah yeah so i was kind of miffed that you know like i paid 60 bucks for the tickets on monday night for two second row seats and um everybody else or at least i would say 80 percent of the people that were there uh got in for free but if Mm. you do watch um uh, impact wrestling this week so this tuesday or this thursday episode which is yesterday if you're listening to this on Friday. And next week's episode, you should see me because I'm facing the hard camera the whole time wearing oh, nice. a, a C4 wrestling t-shirt, a local indie promotion, <laughs> and a Winnipeg Jets toque. <laughs> nice. Love yeah. it. Yeah. So, uh, so I have to admit, though, the TV tapings were more fun than the pay-per-view. Um, oh, really? Oh, so much more fun. Uh, Jeremy mm-hmm. Borash, he's one of the announcers. Like he yeah. works his ass off during these recordings because like between counting down the fans to start cheering to explaining what's coming up next, like he kept the crowd going on top of his duties as announcer. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, again, no female wrestlers wrestled these uh, during the taping. So I didn't see Rosemary at all. Um, I saw oh, Gil okay. Kim announce that she's retiring. Um Spoiler. Um, but apart from that, um, I saw um, OVE, Ohio versus everyone against LAX in a great match. I saw Eddie Edwards versus uh, El, uh, El Hero Fantasma, who is King Cuerno in Lucha Underground in a great match. Um, mm-hmm. I saw Sanjay Dutt a few times. Uh, I saw uh, uh, Trevor Lee once. 
So long story short, it was it was fun. And uh, I'm going to go yeah. again tomorrow night, you know, uh, because. Very cool. Yeah. So I enjoy that. So, yeah, I haven't watched a lot of movies because I watched a shit ton of wrestling live this week, which uh, <laughs> is a blast. And I'm going again in two weeks time. There's two wrestling nights for C4's, a 10th anniversary show oh, nice. uh, for C4 wrestling. So I got tickets for that already with me and Melissa. Well, and, out of curiosity, uh, how much are the tickets for C4? Um, they're usually 20 bucks a pop. Okay. Um, but because they have, they have, they're running two nights this week. Mm-hmm. Um, if you buy both tickets for both nights, then they're two for 35. So for me and Melissa, it's 70 bucks for, for the week, uh, for the Friday and a Saturday night. And awesome. honestly, I have the most fun at these wrestling events at the C4 shows. Um, I know they're on, yeah. they're not on high spots wrestling, but they're on Powerbomb TV. It's another subscription okay. service for, uh, indie wrestling. Um, I would totally suggest to go check them out because it's fun. You might see me in the crowd too, but it's, uh, right. it's so much fun. <laughs> so again, enough wrestling Very talk, cool. but uh, yeah. So that is my, uh, that's my week since we last talked. Very good. Yeah. So just to comment on some things, yeah. um, Halloween too. Yeah. You know, I've always liked Halloween better than Halloween too. Yeah. Um, I think it's, just, you know, the stronger of the movies, but I feel like, like you're saying like Halloween too, um, I feel like uh, people have been talking about it more recently, like in the past few months. I feel like I've been hearing more talk about Halloween 2 okay. because the talk for Halloween 3 has been so like much in the past few years. I feel like people are moving on to something else. Yeah. And so I feel like I've heard a few people talking about, you know, how underrated Halloween 2 is and et cetera um, recently. But, you know, prior to maybe the past three or four months, you're right. Like it's not talked about much at all. Um, but yeah, and you know, so I watched, uh, one of the ones I watched was Halloween three on Halloween night. And, um, that's just, I I really like that movie. It's just a fun movie. Tom Atkins, I think is fantastic. And it's just, it's, yeah, Yeah, he's the man. Um, absolutely. Um, and then you said we were done talking about wrestling, but (laughs) let's not be ridiculous here. I was, you go ahead. The floor is yours, (laughs) sir. Yeah. So I finally finished watching through all the episodes of the Monday night wars on the WWE network. And uh, like like we were saying last week, Mark, I mean, that's just a fantastically put together documentary series. Yeah. Um, I paused for a bit because I was getting to the uh, the episode on the click. Okay. And frankly, I just didn't really care to sit through hearing about them talking about how great they were. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was expecting. Um, so I wasn't excited to watch it. But actually, to my surprise, that was one of the more interesting episodes in the whole series because like they all talk about, all you know, how admit all their faults that they had back then and everything and are just pretty candid about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just really cool to see, you know, how, how much they've grown since then and kind of what happened back then that I, you know, may have missed out on in, in the past. But so that was really interesting. One thing I wanted to point out, though, is the way they treat Vince Russo. So I'm, I'm not a Russo fan by any stretch, but the series makes it abundantly clear that by the time Russo took over the WCW ship, it was already leaking water and sinking. Mm-hmm. Like it, it had, it had clearly already hit the iceberg, so to speak. Oh, you know, oh, like yeah. so, yeah. So even though they set this up, and I feel like they do a really good job of setting that up, making that a statement that they make, then they go on to basically blame him for like the entire thing by the way that they edit together all the interviews with the wrestlers. Well. It's very clear that not a lot of guys like watched him, his like but, the pay per views from like. 2000 2001 wcw it's yeah painful. i was watching them. they're yeah, they're, they're not good yeah and i all. think it's because like 
I feel like he was he was trying to do everything he could to make it succeed, but he just he wasn't the right man for the job. Like he he has all these insane ideas, these ridiculous ideas. And the reason it worked in WWE was because Vince McMahon was there to say, no, this one's shit, this one's good, this one's shit, this one's good. Yeah. But he, in WCW, he just said, went with everything. And none of it was, you know, so much of it wasn't working. Well, he seemed to reinvent the wheel in WCW and, and re-spark yeah. that same magic. And you can't right. do that. Yeah, and and he was crippled by the fact that it was uh, it was uh, he was um, like being censored so much by I forget what they called him, but like the whatever TB the people that worked for like TBS and they you know were there saying you can't do this, yeah. you can't do that, you can't do this. Um, but I don't know. So I didn't. I don't think that Russo really deserved to be labeled as the person who like single handedly killed WCW because WCW was dead about a year before Russo really got there mm-hmm. um, just due to all the politics behind the, behind the scenes in the locker room. But he's definitely, you know, he definitely wasn't the right guy to save it either. But no. I just thought it was very interesting. But, and other than that, like I just so little, and that's not even really a negative. It's just something I noticed, but um, I just really enjoyed, enjoyed that series. That was really, really cool. And it's very long too. Like I, I expected maybe like, you know, five, six episodes on it, but no, it's like a dozen hour long episodes. I was like, wow, this is lengthy. So there's a lot there, a lot to digest, but worthwhile if you're a wrestling fan of that era. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, um, as a lot of our listeners know, um, some of my favorite television to watch is like, you know, adult oriented animated comedy. So like Bob's Burgers, Family Guy, South Park, American Dad, you know, shows like that. Well, Netflix has this new series called Big Mouth. Yeah, I saw that. that. Fits, yeah, fits right into this category. And Bridget and I hit play on it the other day just for shits to have something on like while we were eating or whatever. Oh, sexy. Well, let me tell you. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but let me tell you, I fucking love this show. Really? So, yeah, I did. It's only a 10-episode series, and we were able to get through it in about like two or three sittings. Okay. But goddamn, I thought it was just fantastic. Like. It's basically a series about middle school kids going through puberty, but it's so like over the top raunchy and just fucking ridiculous huh. that I absolutely loved it. Like I was laughing out loud a ton. Okay. Um, I mean, it's definitely not for everybody, um, but I feel like if you do like South Park, you like Family Guy, especially, um, you might get a kick out of this one. Um, not so much Boz Burgers necessarily. Boz Burgers is definitely... You, you know, you can definitely watch that with family, whereas this one is not. That's not what it's for. But um, I don't know. I really liked it. I mean, but it's right in my wheelhouse for what I like, you know, that type of the type of shit I love to laugh at. So just keep that in mind when I tell you how much I loved it. But definitely give it give it a couple episodes if you uh, are interested in that type of that type of uh, animation and whatnot. It was really cool. Did you get your hands on some Rick and Morty? You know, I still own, I own the first season. I have not watched any of it yet though. Okay. Yeah, but I need to. I'm, yeah, yeah. I've heard really good things about it and that's probably, again, right in my wheelhouse. So I definitely need to, need to get to it. I f- kind of forgot about it, to be honest. But. How about F is for family? Did you get, uh, did you get a chance to get a, a watch on that? You know, I watched a couple episodes of it and I thought it was okay, but it just, it didn't grab me. And okay. so I didn't, I didn't continue watching it. That one and uh, BoJack Horseman, I think it's called. Yeah, and that's in the fourth season now. Yeah, which shocks me. <laughs> um, Sh- shocks me too. But yeah, those two, for whatever reason, I just, like, I, I liked F is for Family, I guess, but it, I don't know, it didn't grip me as much as I hoped it would. 
Um, okay. It didn't make me laugh as much as I hoped, I guess I should say. But mm-hmm. and, and same as Ephes, or uh, Bojack Horseman. But um, another one I absolutely love is, um, uh, oh God, my favorite voice actor of all time who plays Bob and Bob's Burgers, John Benjamin or John H. John Benjamin, however you, whatever his name is. Um, mm-hmm. Archer. Another one right in that same idea. And it's just, I fucking love that show. I've got the first, I think, five or six seasons of that. I still have not cracked them open yet. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I only it's watched a, that. I'm such a hoarder. Oh, yeah. man. You know, I haven't watched like through from season one. I think I've only, I think maybe I did start at season one. I've only watched season one or maybe I didn't start at season one. I don't know. I've watched like various episodes. I've not watched the entire series or anything. Uh, but that's when I know yeah. Ash loves too is Archer. But yeah, definitely got to gotta sit down and watch through that whole thing because I loved it. So... Gaming wise, you might know, mm-hmm. uh, Call of Duty World War II came out this past Friday. Yeah. Well, I'm broke, so I didn't want to buy it right now, but I did get off early this past Friday. So I was able to make it into my old job, family video, and they still had some in stock. So I rented it uh, and I rented it for PS4. Okay. So I ended up beating this one in about three sittings and I, I fucking loved it, man. Like the story isn't anything groundbreaking or anything, but I did find that it was well told and the characters are a lot more interesting than any of the other World War II first person shooters I've played recently. Okay. And I've played a good number because I played through Call of Duty 1 and 2, um, some other miscellaneous shit. I guess not all World War II, but just first person shooters in general. And uh, I like the story with this one. Um, What's really cool about this one is that for the first time since I believe the first or second one on PC, they went back to med kits and did away with like the auto regenerating health. Oh, really? Yeah. Now it does make the game more difficult just because we're so used as gamers. We're so used to the auto regenerating health at this point. Yeah. But it also gave me a bit of nostalgia of a nostalgia buzz because it took me back to the original game on PC when I played it with my, me and my cousin used to play it all the time. And I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, And it's one of the main reasons I wanted to own a gaming capable PC when I was, um, you know, just finishing up high school and going into undergrad, you know, but aside from the med kits, I found that the ammo was a lot more difficult to come by, which also makes it a bit of a harder game than in the past. But even with these additions, you know, I was able to beat it and I had, I had an absolute blast doing it. Um, yes. On what difficulty level did you play this game at? I play all my games on the easiest difficulty level. Oh, okay. Uh, just, just, just wondering. Okay. Just, let me yes. write that down. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> yeah and even then it was it was it was pretty difficult I now bet. that said i actually play i was playing call of duty three because i'm trying to beat that one because i was going through the series okay um and again play i play everything on easy or whatever and fuck like i take back all the complaints i had about world war ii's difficulty because fucking call of duty three is so much more difficult mm-hmm. like just the fucking onslaught of enemies that are attacking you nonstop and like the checkpoints are spread out so far i'm like jesus i almost rage quit multiple times yeah like i was so fucking annoyed but i finally got past that mission so i only have four chapters left in in call of duty 3 then i can finally move on to like the whole reason i wanted to play through the call of duty series again and that was to play call of duty 4 modern warfare yeah uh, which i'm really excited to play again so anyway that'll be coming up shortly but i I can totally relate to you because i remember rage critting uh while playing on easy mode as well but i felt once i uh, went to kindergarten i i wouldn't do that anymore (laughs) so yeah yeah. you'll 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 get to it 
you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> That's fine. That is totally fine. <laughs> that is totally fine. <laughs> you can play whatever difficulty level makes you happy. Whatever difficulty level you think is is right for you. I will not judge you. I am a, a better man than you and will let you do that did, did, without judging. Did your mom give you a, a, a sucker after just to make it calm down? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been that would have been awesome, but no, she didn't. I'll have to have a conversation with her about that as I finish Call of Duty Three. Yeah. Hey, Mom, remember you used to breastfeed me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> but um, back to back to World War Two. Yes. So keep in mind, I, I wasn't playing this on my Xbox One S and my 4K TV, but rather was playing it on my my regular PS4 and my home theater, which is 1080p. Yeah. Um, even so the graphics on world war two blew me the fuck away, man. Like at one point I literally thought I was watching like a live action cutscene because the graphics were so fucking good. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I really wish I would have rented this on the Xbox one just to see how it looked on my 4k TV with like HDR and everything. But when I eventually end up buying it, which I will, cause I want to play it again, I'll likely go that route just so I can see, you know, how different it is and if it looks any better and whatnot. But I mean, I can only imagine how good this thing looks on the Xbox One X, which just came out with like a high-end 4K TV. Yeah. <laughs> like it just has to blow you away because I was blown away on 1080p. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's awesome. But yeah, so, you know, I know I'm in the minority of people who literally buy and or play Call of Duty for the main story mode, but I do. And this one really deserve, uh, really delivered with its return to the Great War. So I can highly recommend this for the camp, this one for the campaign, but keep in mind, it's really quick. You know, it's a really quick beat. Like I, it probably took me less than seven hours to beat it. I would imagine. Um, but still I had fun with it and that's all I really care about. You know, I can't wait to try it again. Um, just to see what else I, you know, get, get out of it. Maybe, uh, up that difficulty level just so I can become a man again in Mark's eyes. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. You have to bump up a level or two, my friend. <laughs> now keep in mind i didn't touch the multiplayer mode because i just don't give a shit about it and i didn't try zombies either much for the same reason oh, is there that mode uh, as i well? don't have fun with those modes oh yeah there's both of them in have there have you gone to the yeah. r&r tent in that game to the r&r tent yeah. okay i'm not sure if it's in single player mode or if it's like a lobby thing but you can go to the r&r tent and play old activision oh. games within the actual game really you know i know what you're talking about i did yeah. click on the multiplayer area because i was trying to see if there was like a multiplayer campaign to play with chris but and I, there was like a, a camp area, and so I got it. That's got to be what you're talking about. But I didn't actually uh, fuck around with it at all. But that's really yeah. Cool apparently that they've got like a, I can't recall if it's like a dozen or twenty some Activision games. Wow! But you can play them for like ten credits a play. So it's it's kind of cool feature. Yeah, it's interesting. Very cool. Yeah, I did not know that. But when I uh, when I end up picking it up, I'll definitely have to check it out. Um, yeah. So. On the movie side of my week in media, I did finish up the 31 and 31 horror challenge for the month of October. Um, and I ended okay. up with a final tally of 51 movies in 31 days. Uh, solid. Yeah, I was happy. Very happy. Um, 50 of them uh, were films I hadn't watched previously, so they were new to me. And uh, the 51st, uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, like we already talked about, was the only one I'd yep. watched previously. But I actually, I watched my version of it for the first time because I actually had to take the plastic off the... Uh, the Scream Factory edition that I had. So that was okay. good. Yeah. But I really wanted to watch a Halloween film and I've seen all of them, obviously. So unless the other thing I was going to mention, you were talking about how you double dipped on the Halloween set. So yeah. that's actually the reason I didn't do it because I own all of the Halloween series on Blu-ray already. And so I decided okay. to skip that, um, the Halloween set from Scream Factory because it was pretty expensive. 
And I already had them all. So I was like, fuck it. I'll literally be double dipping on everything except the producer's cut of Halloween 6, which they eventually released by itself. So I was able to get it anyway. But Mm -hmm. yeah. And funny, that's the only one I have never seen is Halloween 6. Oh, really? Yeah. So I think like I'd like to maybe start from like four and work my way to um, whatever the Buster Rhymes one, Resurrection. Yeah. Because uh, those I only saw once. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never saw six. I never saw Paul Rudd's first film. Hmm. I I didn't hate the direct, like the theatrical cut of Halloween Six, but the producer's cut is just such a significantly better film. Like it Should is. Should I watch the theatrical th- uh, cut first just to no, get a no. feel? No, no. Watch the producer's cut. There's honestly, there's oh. no reason not to. Like, okay. you'll get everything in the like. They don't. They only add to the producer's cut, from what I remember. Gotcha. And. It just, it fits everything so much better. Like it fits, I just, it's such a better film. It takes like a mediocre to bad film into a genuinely good film, I think. So I, oh, I wouldn't waste okay. your time with theatrical. But Fair enough. That's, that's my opinion. I, others may disagree, but that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know when we talked last time, I was about halfway through Among Friends um, when we recorded, but I ended up finishing that one. It was decent, but not great. Um, the idea was cool, but it ended up getting a little stranger than I expected. Um, but by the end of it, it did kind of get better as it went on. And then the ending was just kind of weird again. I don't know. So, you know, it it was good, but not as good as I'd hoped. But really the only reason I watched it was because it was directed by Daniel, Daniel Harris, who I love speaking of Mm -hmm. Halloween four and five. Um, and she had a small cameo in it as well as Kane Hodder with a cameo. And I'd love seeing those two. So, you know, I gave it two and a half out of four stars. Didn't love it, but it was, it was decent. Um, Yeah, and then on Halloween, I watched the, uh, I think, I'm not sure if you watched this one, you may have, but the all-female directed anthology film, XX. Have you seen that one? I did, and that's actually going to be my X for my final run of DVDs. Oh, so okay. I, so because I ran out of X of X films uh, gotcha. for my DVDs, so I picked that off Netflix. So okay. we can talk about it. It's no problem. I already wrote my review, so it's not going to change. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Honestly, I was disappointed with it. Like, me too. Yeah. The only memorable short for me was the third one, which had some like really cool demon special effects and was genuinely creepy a little bit. But otherwise, I just was, I wow. thought it was. What was the third one again? That was the one like the, the group of four people are in like, uh, like, I don't know. They look like they were like oh, in camping like, or the desert or yes, something. Yes, camping. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And she turns into a demon or whatever. I thought the demon effects like looked really fucking great. Like they were practical effects. They looked really good. Yeah. See, but, I, like, I, I kind of like the idea of the first one, but yes, I, I like I the idea. But I feel like, it like, what the fuck yeah. did he find out, or what did he see? You know. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's interesting. I didn't know this, but Chris told me that the first one. It's, I don't know if they all are or not, but at least the first one is based off a short story. And see, he said that he had to go read the short story to figure out what it meant. Oh, really? But I haven't done that, and I didn't ask him, so I don't know what it means. But apparently, there's a short story that's based off of that you could read. I guess. Yeah, but, like, like. I, I, I'm glad the project got made, but the gimmick exactly. is it's it's all female directors, which I hate yeah. that gimmick because it shouldn't be about your gender, but it should be about your your talent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever, and I, you know, and thing is, anthology films they're always hit and miss because you're right. going to see different points of view and different styles, and you know, some people might not like everything, and you know, so like mm-hmm. honestly, the the last really good anthologies I've seen. Was well, I really loved VHS 2, which you were kind of kiff kiff about. 
And I also right. love Southbound, which I think I've seen it two years ago now. I still don't own it. I still think about it. Um, so I still mm. need to, to actually track down a Blu-ray copy of Southbound. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I need to see that. You know, I, I own the uh, Mondo. I think it was Mondo. Maybe Waxwork. I don't know. Whoever. Release of that on vinyl. Oh, really? But I've not actually opened it or listened to it. <laughs> um, and I haven't seen the movie. Yeah. But the... Uh, the art was pretty badass. Yeah. And I think for like I got it cheap or something, which is why I bought it. I thought but. the movie was badass. I thought the movie was really good. Um, and again, Tales for Halloween was actually, you know, I thought it was good as well, but a little too long. Um, but yeah, I, I thought for XX, it was very hit and miss. I'm glad I, I, I heard they're making a sequel or a second volume. I'm all for that. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I just wanted them to all be good, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's like I wanted to like it, you know, but I just, yeah. I just was disappointed. I give that one one and a half out of four stars yeah. myself. I'll have to say, I'm glad I didn't buy this on Blu-ray because I oh, would have yeah. bought it and then I would have probably never watched it again. Right. Um. So thank Absolutely. you, Netflix, for saving me 20 bucks. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and after my 30 days were up, I took a few days off from watching movies, but, uh, and that's what kind of when my WWE Network binge really started picking up. But um, I have started watching through Romero's Dead series. Um, I've watched through two thirds of them or four sixths of them. So I'm all the way through land of the dead, which I watched this morning. Um, but I'm not going to talk about those because I'm I'm specifically doing that to do a series review on them. Um, and so I'm writing that up. So, you know, you'll, you can find my thoughts on, on that eventually at cinefessions.com, hopefully by the end of this weekend, Mm -hmm. because I'm, uh, only have two left. So, and these are actually the first two that I haven't seen. So, uh, diary and survival. So we'll see. It's like diarrhea. (laughs) <laughs> oh man you know i didn't know that uh simon Pegg and uh edgar wright were played zombies in land of the dead did you know that i did um i was still yeah, reading room org magazine at the time and i know yovanka oh, okay she was uh, all uh, zombied up and uh, they did a thing from the set and they were there and, no I, oh, okay. I think it was edgar wright as well yeah edgar wright and simon Pegg. Yeah, yeah yeah that's what i meant to say yeah um mm-hmm. yeah because Romero was a huge fan of Shaun of the Dead. And so oh, they who isn't? Right, exactly. And he was championing the film. And so he was like, Yeah, get them, get them here, you know? And so yeah, it was very cool. They actually have a, yeah. a documentary on the Scream Factory release that's like when Simon met or when Simon and Edgar met George or something like that. Um, which is all about them actually doing it. How is it the or the Scream Factory release of uh, Land? Because that just dropped recently, right? Yeah, it just came out very recently. Um, that's actually what sparked this whole thing. Uh, I thought it looked great. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I watched it on my home theater in the basement, so it was very big, and uh, I didn't notice any flaws at all. Like I thought it looked fantastic. Um, that's cool. So I, some of the special effects don't. So they use mostly practical effects, but there are some uh, computer generated effects. Those yeah. don't hold up quite as well um, because they're from 2005. But um, yeah. and I'm not sure if that's you know if we're able to see that more because of this release of it, or if I would have watched my DVD if it would look the same. I don't know, but um, yeah, I didn't have any problems with the with the transfers themselves. And I think you know there's a ton of uh, special features on there, so I'm I'm very happy with it. Uh, they actually comes with the theatrical uh, R-rated version and the unrated version. There's about a five minute difference in runtime. I of course watched the unrated version um sure but yeah and so yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk about those like i said i'll talk about them on the podcast once i actually yeah. get my review out there just in case you know sounds good at the website but yeah so that's my uh that's my long ass week in media so 
yeah, I forgot to mention the TV that I watched this week, just oh, because yeah. uh, I, I watched a few things. Um, I finished season one of Helmog or Helm uh, Hemlock Grove. Oh, okay. Um, I kind of I kind of knew who the who I guess the killer was about mm-hmm. two way two thirds of the uh, of the series. Um, it's weird. Again, it's trying to be kind of Twin Peaks ish, kind of quirky. I'm debating if I want to watch season two and three because season one ended on a weird note where I'm like, what the fuck am I watching right now? Like, yeah, it was weird. Um, but apparently because the showrunners knew it was going to wrap up after three seasons that everything gets answered. So oh, I'm encouraged okay. to continue watching. So I think I will because there are only 13 episode seasons. Um, but I did finish that. I also finished a Luther season two which was only four episodes, so it wasn't much of a chore. And it's actually quite a joy to, to watch. Um, hmm. And uh, I only have one episode of Stranger Things Season 2 to watch. Uh, oh, okay. So I'm probably gonna, yeah, I need to start that. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably going to finish that after uh, after the podcast, tonight, depending how late we finish. But yeah, okay. one episode of that left, so yay. And uh, yeah, that is now all I did last week. Yeah, and you mentioned Black Panther. I'd actually had not seen that trailer until I went to see Jigsaw okay. and I saw the Black Panther trailer and oh. I was blown away. Like I cannot fucking wait to see that movie now. I think yeah. it, the trailer sold me on it very much so. So, and speaking of and, trailers, uh, mm-hmm. um, so again, seeing Thor IMAX 3d yesterday, I saw a few trailers yeah. in IMAX 3d, which honestly I was on the verge of like happy tears. I'm like, I felt a lump <laughs> in my throat and, like I was, I was nerding out so hard that the old man beside me had to grab my hand. Um, so, uh, so I saw the 3d trailer for the new Pacific Rim uprising. I think it's called. Oh, okay. I love the original Pacific Rim. I cannot wait for the new one comes out in March next year. Um, I think it looks tremendous and I'm like, sweet. Finally, some fights during the daytime. Because one of the knocks of the last episode or the last uh, film mm-hmm. was that a lot of the fights were at night and sometimes it was hard to decipher what was going on. Plus, it's waist deep in water, so you're not seeing everything, right? Um, in this right. one, a lot of daytime shots. I think it looks good. Some people beg to differ. Fair enough. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and then I saw the trailer, The I guess the last trailer for uh, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Oh, I've avoided that. I've not watched that yet. Well, again, I'm at the movie, so that's the only yeah, way. Exactly. Watch. Like, I'm not going on YouTube to watch a low res copy of it. Like I saw this right. in IMAX 3D, breathtaking. And then you see shots of Carrie Fisher, and I'm like, oh, you know. And <laughs> and right. to me, like the Star Wars films, you know, I had the trilogy first when I was young, like around Christmas time. And to me, it's mm-hmm. always been like a like a holiday event to watch these Star Wars movies. Um, okay. So I'm just happy that, you know, like last year, this year is happening, you know, December 17th, it gets it gets released. I'm probably going to hopefully watch it on Christmas Eve because I work uh, Christmas Day and Boxing Day. Um, oh, but gotcha. I, it, it looked amazing. I'm so excited. I didn't think it spoiled anything. It even ra- the way it was edited raises some questions. So I cannot wait to see that film as well. Very cool. Yeah, you know, there were a couple other trailers that I saw when I was at Jigsaw that I'm forgetting, but there was a couple ones that looked really interesting that I hadn't seen the trailers for before. How, did you previous. see the one for a Polaroid? Polaroid? No, I did not. That's a, I think it's a Bloomhouse film where a girl gets a vintage camera from a vintage store. Oh, I've seen that one. Somehow I've seen that one. I have seen that, okay. but I don't think it was when I went to Jigsaw. It, it, it looks, 
whatever, but I, yeah, I feel like it's probably just going to be one of those very forgettable horror, you know, films. But if it is Bloomhouse, it's going to be good because they've got a really good track record. Um, so obviously, I'm going to go see it. But it, mm-hmm. it it kind of feels like we're jumping back into a bit of the J horror from the early 2000s. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, right? that's what I was thinking when I saw it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other other one I saw was actually by the same director of Jigsaw. Um, it was uh, Winchester House, the Winchester Mystery House, which is actually something oh. that I love as a kid. Okay. Because it was in San Jose. My parents took us there when we took a vis- uh, trip out to California to m- meet with relatives. They took me to the Winchester Mystery House, which is this real life house that's supposedly haunted. The woman went crazy and had like, you know, hallways built that went nowhere, doors leading nowhere, stairs leading nowhere, like just all this weird really? crazy shit. Okay. Yeah. And so this is a movie that I believe it takes place while she's having the house built. Like it was basically always under construction until she died. Okay. Um, Cause she just has all this money and was just having it built. She's nuts. Up yeah. yeah, exactly. She was absolutely batshit crazy. And uh, it looks genuinely creepy. Like I'm really excited for it. One, because of just having been to the actual place when I was a kid. Um, so it just strikes a chord with me there. And two, the trailer looked uh, genuinely creepy. So I'm really excited to see that one. I have not seen it. I'm I'm going to wait till I see it in theaters. But yeah, that, that yeah. is me a lot. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Who's in it? Anybody recognizable? Uh, yeah, Helen Mirren is actually the uh, the lead actress in it. Really? crazy. Not, yeah. not Helen Hunt, Helen Mirren. Yes. No, no, from, from Rent. Double checking my, my facts here. Yeah, Helen. Yep, I'm absolutely right. Fuck. Helen Mirren. I heard a horror film. I know. That sounds awesome. Exactly. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? But yeah, I'm in. Ooh. I am definitely in. Okay, me too. I just, right, just there. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But All right. So is that mm-hmm. does that cover everything from both of us here? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty covered right now. Okay. <laughs> good. Good, good, Apart good. All right. One thing. <laughs> All right. So let's move Don't over to now. our <laughs> Oh man. To our review for the week. Yes. All right. Let's... So The Mask of the Red Death. So there will be spoilers for this film. So if you've not seen the movie and care about spoilers, definitely hit pause. Go watch the film, which is on the Vincent Price collection, the original. Yes. From- and then come on back and hit play because there will be spoilers. So, Mask of the Red Death, re- original U.S. theatrical release date of June 24th, 1964. It was directed by Roger Corman, written by Charles Beaumont and R. Wright Campbell, based on the story, of course, by Edgar Allan Poe. It has a current IMDb score of 7.1 out of the 9,729 votes. Uh, I could no Metacritic score. I could not find a tomato meter score or an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it does have a 3.56 out of five stars on Letterboxd based on the 2078 ratings. And a, I couldn't find the gross, but according to one of the documentaries on the Screen Factor release, Corman mentions that it had a $200,000 budget and it clocks in at 89 minutes. So. I think I know your history with this one, but uh, go ahead and tell our listeners, what's your history with Mask of the Red Death, Mark? Um, I saw this once prior. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. um, I had gone to Toronto to meet up with some friends uh, that we had met on the uh, room work board back in the day. And I believe this was after my first convention. I'm pretty sure it was 2006 or 2007. I'm sure it's 2006. 
Anyways, go to Toronto and uh, they had the Rue Morgue movie nights where they would like host a film at the Royal Hotel, uh, Royal uh, Cinema. And mm-hmm. when I went, it was this film. So I walked in uh, blind, uh, not knowing anything about Massive Red Death. Um, okay. So yeah, so really watching it uh, for the podcast this week uh, was my second and third time. Fantastic. Yeah, this is my first time viewing. So first time I watched this one and I uh, was watching it on the uh, uh, Vincent Price collection from Screen Factory. So yeah, it's like he put all his Corman Poe stuff in the first volume because uh, yeah, I think all it kind of sucks. Uh, one or I think all but two of them are on the first volume. But yes, I think I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. All right. So Right from the start, I was I was really taken by the so you know we're in the graveyard. This woman's walking around, and um, it's a cool shot, uh, very similar, familiar, you know, to what we've seen. But then you get this stark yeah. man in this red cloaked outfit, um, and I thought that was very striking. It was just very eye catching. I thought that was really well done right at the start. Hmm. I thought so too because all we're seeing is is grays and fog and yep. And just just rotting, you know, cemeteries and yeah. whatnot, and then just this lone red figure, a very yeah, sitting very, under a tree. A very smart use of color to start things out. Yeah, and I think he's the only use of red. You know, in the, uh, my, my, minus the the death of like people of you know when they get killed by the red death where they turn red. I think he's the only red in the film. Yeah, they at one point uh, when they come back for the masquerade, you know, uh, P- Prospero has banned them from wearing red. People are wearing sh- like red on them, but they're not fully red. Like it's a black cloth with like red stripes or something like that. Sure, so, sure. So other than that, I believe you're right. I believe you're right. I don't remember any like a person wearing strictly a red outfit or anything like that. So yeah. It sets him apart, which is, you know, purposeful, you know, absolutely purposeful. But um, the other thing that struck me right at the, at the gate was that this one, it, it clearly takes place in a different time, a much earlier time, I thought, at least, maybe I'm wrong, but it felt like a much earlier time than the films that we've seen previously. No, no, you're right. It, it's more medieval. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You know, like, like it's it like, you know. All the other films, it's a it's a palace, it's a house, but this felt like a half castle, half yeah. Um, oh, what would you call them? Like with the sultans? Uh, uh, oh, I'm not sure. Castle was the was definitely the word I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, of. I, I guess I guess castle also like a like a almost like a ple- like a harem in a way. Okay, yeah, I, I felt it had a, a bit of a harem element, a harem mm-hmm. element, um, and I guess we'll get to it later on with like all the parties which. Right. Could be kind of like, it's like, you know, in 1964, you're having these parties where people are acting really drunkenly. It's almost like an orgy with their clothes on. Yeah. yeah. We'll get to get to that later on. But to me, it felt kind of like half, half harem, half castle. Okay. Yeah. I would agree with you. That's, that's the feeling I got as well. Um, And I thought that was interesting. So that, that, the idea that it was taking place in more like of a medieval era um, was really interesting to me just because again, it's different. And so if, if you're different from what we've seen previously out of this arc, it, you know, the, the, the cycle, it's, it's noteworthy, I think. And oh, so I was, totally. I was, you know, engaged from the start. But, um, I, one thing I, I wrote down at the beginning here was I love like Price's, uh, Prospero's ridiculous gold outfit he's wearing at the start. Um, it's just so gaudy. 
And I think that theme just continues throughout the whole thing. The, the costumes the, that these people are wearing, I thought the costume design was really cool and really interesting um, because the outfits are just just out there. That's the perfect word to sum it up is, is gaudy. Is like yeah. he's peacocking to show that right. he is the, the uh, you know the cock with the the cock with the stuff you know he's exactly. the main guy you know yeah. um, and just the way that he, he talks to people is like yeah I will protect you from the plague like you're just a person you know he 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 he, he kind of eats his own bullshit and mm-hmm. really believes that he's almost like a god to these people oh yeah, absolutely yeah. Yeah, like he's a real bastard in this one. Oh yeah, um, and it's it's right from the start. You know, he's he burns the town. Now, to be fair, like I I, I thought the reason he was doing it was so to to stop the spread of this plague, this Red Death plague. If that's what Red Death is, you know, which I, I believe I believe it is, it's just a plague of some sort. But yeah, so that's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, he's doing this for a reason. He could help the people though. And he chooses not to, but you know, the reason he's doing it is, is pretty legitimate. I would say. Well, I think the reason why he's burning the village, if you're hearing about this from a faraway land is that it's a stop the plague, but really it's because the people were defying him. Like if, uh, if, if the boyfriend and the father wouldn't have set up to him and made him mm-hmm. look like a fool, because what you're challenging me, I'm a God. Well, I'm taking everything away from you, you know? Uh, but he could have just killed them right there but but he's evil so he likes he wants to toy with them it's like a cat with a string with these two guys like he could have killed them he could have killed them multiple times and decided not mm-hmm. to until he had a bigger audience because he just wants to show how powerful that he is like he can take a life or he can save a life at his whim and he that's what he likes and in this case here because he thought that the villagers were being weren't happy with the scraps that he's giving them then I don't need this village anymore. But I th- I feel like the way it's edited, the way it's put together in those moments. So Prospero comes in, he gets talked to down, talked to by Gino and, and the the father. Yeah. And then he's like, okay, one of you, uh, Francesca, you have to pick which one's going to die. Okay. So my presumption would be that the one is going to kill the other person right now. Then here's the screaming. He's like, oh god damn it, I got to take everything myself. Then he goes in, sees that she has the red death, comes out grabs those three and says burn the village so that is why it would lead me to believe that the only reason he's taking them with him or no the only reason that he didn't have them killed right there was because of this red death situation now why he takes them with him i don't know i don't understand why he does that well see if it was purely for the red death then he would have killed all three because he doesn't want to have that spread to his castle he does bring him to the mm-hmm. castle because He's a son of a bitch. He specifically, he specifically asked them, though, have you made contact with this girl? And then all three of them say no. And so then he takes them. Hmm. I, I still, I, I personally think that uh, he still did it because he's, he's just, he's an evil person. He's just, he's a despot. Yeah. He's a bad man. He's a bad mm-hmm. prince. Um, and he doesn't right. care about his people. He cares about his friends with influence. Because mm-hmm. they will then talk to their friends about him and his parties. But these people that don't see what happens behind the castle walls, fuck them all. You yeah. know? Yeah. And I don't even think he really cares about his friends. Like, you know, Alfredo, he tosses the wine at him. Um, and then he walks around and makes them, you know, go to the ground and act like a 
pig or a jackass or a whatever a worm, you yeah. know. Um, he's just in an overall piece of oh, shit. Totally. I, I don't think he likes his yeah. friends anymore because he's gotten such right. a uh, uh, he's gotten such a huge stature in the hierarchy of things mm -hmm. that again he right. can command anybody to do anything and he's bored he's bored with it that's mm -hmm. why we've later get into the whole satan thing is because he's bored with man he's ready to be friends with gods yeah or he wants to ally um, himself I'm with with satan mm -hmm. yeah exactly I love the shot where Price is walking around the crowd in a circle, like the room's silent, everybody's watching him, um, and the camera spins with him. I thought that was a really simple shot, but the whole thing just gave this really odd effect. It was kind of uh, like a like a fishbowl effect as the camera was spinning, yeah. and I thought that was really yeah, it was cool. A very cool shot. And it's it's crazy too how much better the film looks from the other films because the other films it looked like it was there were small sets and boxed in there's such a grandiose feel to this uh, to this film you know the ballroom is huge the rooms are huge like the even yeah. um juliana's bedroom with the tub it's so big so much real estate you know um right and I think it's interesting because they talk about how they filmed yeah. this one in England. And so like they had all these sets from these large, like huge, yeah. big, big movies that were available to them. And so they took advantage of it. And so it just has this larger feel, which I really, really worked because of the fact that we're in a different setting, yeah. you know, and talking about that castle feel versus uh, mansion feel or whatever. Yeah. It, it, they, they really took advantage of the tax breaks we were getting from filming overseas. Yeah. And exactly. uh, it makes a film look like the best so far of all the, all the films in the cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, then you this is such a weird fucking thing. And so I, and then I realized what was going on. So the, the little person, I guess he comes out with this. Yeah, little girl. Yeah. Yes. With this little girl and just the way Alfredo is staring at her and what he says about her. I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, that's just like, this is so fucking disgusting on every level. And then yeah. later on, we meet, we see the girl again and she's voiced over by like an, a grown woman. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, is she supposed to be like someone possessed? Like, is this supposed to be a mid, like a little person? Like what's going on? And it turns out that it's supposed to be a little person. Yes. And so Corman says that he did his best to make her look as old as possible. But fuck, they failed. She did not look anything older than like seven years old. And it was gross. And, and that's the thing. Like you want to hate Alfredo. Because mm -hmm. one, he's friends with uh, Prospero. Yeah. Um, and like, this is the first film in the series where it kind of, it kind of skirmishes the water, you know, kind of, yeah. and it causes a little, little friction of, of pedophilia, mm -hmm. you know, exactly. because, and, and it's not even that he says it. He just right. goes like, I wonder. Exactly. And then just, and then like dot, 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 right? Like you don't have to yeah. finish a sentence, yeah. you know, yeah, because- gross. Well, it, it is gross because one, it was like a, a young girl playing the role of a mm -hmm. young woman dwarf. Yeah. Um, which, again, she looked so much older than um, Skip Martin, who plays Hop Toad. Um, young, so much younger. So, oh, pardon me. Yeah, so much younger uh, okay. than, than yeah. Hop Toad. So I thought maybe it was, it was his daughter. But I think mm -hmm. that was his, his girlfriend. Yeah, that's what uh, I got out of it when they were talking later on. Right. 
or, or maybe he's just protecting them because they've worked so closely they, together. So maybe right, there's not yeah, a romantic thing, but more of a protection thing because she's a mm-hmm. she's a small dwarf girl, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, that was creepy, which I kind of yeah. dug, just because you know uh, Prospero's into the, the whole Satan thing and whatever. So mm-hmm. not like you would expect scummy people to be hanger ons. Because even if yeah. you look at the crowd, like the people that the the camera really picked on, um, the guys are kind of they're they're not they're not bad looking, but they're not the chiseled hero. Um, you right. know, and then and even the women, they're they've got this evilness to them. You know, if it's the way mm-hmm. their makeup is done, or like the, the the blonde girl when I think the little girl gets slapped. And she's eating like a, or it's during the duel and she's pulling on a piece of pig leg or something. And like, she, yeah. she's pretty, but she's not pretty at the same time. You kind of see like a bit of a mustache lip. And so they're, mm. they're, they're upper class, but they're not, I, I think the evil that's dwelled within them is kind of coming out on them. So it shows maybe their ugly side. I, I don't know. It's just, I, I just found that. The people at the party were, they're not villagers, but they're ugly rich people. You know, they're, they're not deformed, Mm -hmm. but there's just an ugliness to them. It just, yeah, it, it it reminds me of like a G rated version of, um, oh, fuck me. I'm going to forget the name right now. Really? Um, one of those movies that you made me watch for the best in the backlog challenge that was just fucking terrible from Criterion Collection. Salo? So, yes, Sodom. Yes, it reminded me of like a G-rated version of that. Like that type of person is who is in yeah. this house. I, I would agree with you. not again not seeing the film, but yes, I, I agree with you with uh, from what I know about the film. Yeah, and like reminded me. I know I haven't seen. I own Caligula, but I've not seen it. But it, it just that type of thing. Like that's what's going on here. This that hedonism, that debauchery, that uh, evil kind he, of negativity that lives within that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, by the way, Caligula, a young Helen Mirren's in it. Yes, you're absolutely right. Oh, look at that. Look at us going full circle here. Good for us. Call back. That's a call back, folks. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Francesca, I thought, was really, really well done. Um, And I think she looked really great in her her new dress that uh, Prospero puts her in. Um, She fit that role very well. Yeah, only 17 years old when uh, Jane Asher became Francesca. Um, oh, really? Yeah, she was only 17. And wow. again, when she gets dumped into the tub, you don't mm-hmm. see the tea, but you get a little side boob. And I'm like, oh, right. 1964. Yeah. You know, funny how things change in six months from the last film. Um, <laughs> right, so exactly. I, I was kind of surprised by that. But I also, I like Francesca's journey because she goes from okay. resistance to a to a uh not an acceptance but trying to she just a, she, 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 a, she appeases and then she accepts you know yeah. um she still tries to rebel but i think the more that she's in the castle the more prospero kind of corrupts her and i think the more mm-hmm. and more she starts to like it a bit not to the extent of the masses mm. but it's like She's not. She, she's kind of enjoying her place, kind of by his side because she's she's kind of taken over Juliana's spot in his heart. Yeah, I never got that. I guess at all. Okay, but 
I appreciate what you're saying. I just didn't, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I didn't see that. Oh, that's fine. And it, to me, it just felt like she just gave up. Like she, what is she, what happens with her at the end? So she says, you know, I'll do whatever you want if you let Gino come back in, right? Yeah. But then Gino like sneaks his way back in, right? Like he doesn't even get invited back in, but she's still like going along with him. I, I don't know. The whole thing was just weird. Well, I, 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 would play I, I just think, you know, Prospero is such a corrupting influence that she mm-hmm. eventually just gets at ease living in the castle. And as much as she wants to, you know, she doesn't have a village to go back to, first of all, because it's burnt down. Mm-hmm. So why not kind of do your best that you can in this castle? Yeah. Because I have to admit, that tub in that room was pretty badass. Yeah, I, like clock, sure I would was. love a cloth tub right by my bed. That would be fantastic. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh man, um, I loved. So obviously, the use of color in this film is is very well done, um, and you see that again with the with the different colored rooms. Um, Prospero leads Francesco through. Yeah, um, like the imagery is just fantastic there, and I think it's it's really well done. Just just the paint job. Everything's exactly. everything's yellow. Everything's purple, everything's white, and mm-hmm. you've got the black with the red. Like it's it's stunning, especially in high def. It looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the other thing that struck me is just how not only, you know, we're in a different time, so it feels different. It's just how different this whole like the theme of this film is. It did not it doesn't feel like anything that we've seen previously from Poe, uh, from a Poe adaptation, at least, you know? Um, like you're dealing with like um an inner turmoil but but about like gods and i don't i don't know just about gods ver- instead of like love or loss and that difference was just so dramatic it didn't feel like poe actually had a hand in this at all and i don't know how how much this is based on poe's tale but uh, yeah I, I read the or I read ellis the commentary but it was from the same mm-hmm. academic from a few episodes ago. And it, okay. li- it literally put me to sleep. He's just reading, yeah. uh, you know, like a 90 minute essay. And yeah, well, he was repeating information from the other commentary track, but uh, yeah, I couldn't like, I started reading notes. I'm like, it's futile. Like it's not conversational. Some of it is not interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm writing notes to write yeah. notes. Um, I don't know how much of Master of the Red Death is actually Poe and how much of it mm-hmm. is actually written for the film legit have no idea if it's like a combination of multiple stories or not um right i i i don't know now mm-hmm. i i find the prospero's wanting to be aligned with satan feels kind of poish because it's like wanting to appease the god you believe in but the whole like party atmosphere and like having friends and eating and socializing and then like, you know, the ballroom orgy, that doesn't feel like Poe at all. So I don't know. I, I don't know. How, yeah. I, like I'd have to read the, I'd have to read his, his short story or I'd have to go back to see exactly right. what this film is based off of. Um, but mm-hmm. I found a very, just a very small portion could be Poe. Um, but for the most part, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like him at all. Right. Um, I love so when like uh, one of the people that come to his door basically and trying to have him let him in, um, he he offers up his wife. He says, "I give her to you to do with her as you please." Yeah. 
And Prospero's line back is, I've already had that doubtful pleasure. And I'm like, oh, damn, you cold, girl. Shit. Prince Prospero is a bad motherfucker. Like, yeah, exactly. But it doesn't, well, first of all, the guy is a piece of shit. I think it's, is it Scarletti? I'm not sure exactly which one. I think it's Scarletti. But, I, it was the big guy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what yellow, yeah. Offering his wife up just to get into a party. That was right. a pretty cool party. Well, he was trying to get in because of the Red Death being sure. out there. He was trying to get away from that. Sure. But, but using his wife as a barding tool, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of grody. Yeah. That, so, like, I don't know. Honestly, I was just, I was lost during a lot of this movie. Um, cause then all of a sudden I didn't understand, I didn't get at all that this was him worshiping Satan at all. Cause then all of a sudden I, you know, I wrote down like, wait, when did it, when the fuck did it become obvious that his creator was Satan? Like, I didn't get that at all until he finally like mentions it at one point, but I just had no idea that that's what this was. Well, I, I think guess. once we got access to the black room, that's where it first started. Because he kind of explains mm-hmm. what his deal is. And it's it's at that point, if I do recall properly. And I, th- yeah, and it is. Yeah, I guess so. I guess it's just the way it was presented. It was as if I should have known that the yeah. whole time. I'll be honest. The first, is the the first time I, I saw this in theaters, I was lost as fuck as well. So, so don't, yeah. don't feel that uh, you're alone in this. Um, th- this right. film isn't the easiest or it's not the most straightforward pole film in the cycle. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And then like it really, they really hit home like they are Satan worshipers because then um, uh, Juliana is literally praying to Satan. Um, <laughs> it's just weird. And then she brands her tit with the, you know, yeah. upside down cross. Upside down cross. Yeah, that, that's really yeah. giving yourself to Satan. All right. Um, that effect mm-hmm. was pretty cool. I, I really liked uh, the way the burn looked after. I thought the make was yeah. pretty sweet on that. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't you maybe want to like put it somewhere where nobody can see you with your low cut dresses? Like, you know, you know what I, mean? <laughs> I think like, she was happy. I I didn't understand why Hop Toad was trying to do this whole gorilla suit thing. Like, I thought it was uh, so fucking strange for revenge. It was all for revenge. Oh, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Alfredo uh, slapped her right because she, right, when she was dancing at the knocked first party, the knocked her the wine. He's a piece of shit. Say, hey, what the fuck? Like, I can't get another glass of wine in this place. Smacked right. her, and uh, Hop told right away is like the look on his face, like what the fuck? And this was mm-hmm. all a way to get him into that flammable suit, doused him with booze, and then set him on fire as his revenge. So. Dude's gonna fucking burn a guy alive because he slapped somebody. Yeah, That's- like I really liked Hop Toad. I thought Skip Martin was fantastic in this film. Um, I thought mm-hmm. the way that he carried himself, he was very uh, eloquent. He was really like I really dug his portrayal. Um, he seemed like a happy-go-lucky guy. Like, look at me, I'm the court jester, but with a fucking right. dark. So like, he takes revenge and like ramps yeah. it up to ten. Mm-hmm. Like, that was pretty hardcore. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get that it was a revenge tactic oh, um, yeah. the whole time I was there until, I mean, it's obvious once, once the finale, you know, what happens at the end sure. with him getting burned alive. But yeah, I just totally didn't, uh, didn't connect that when I was, when I was going through, but, and then they have this really slow, long, uninteresting time in the middle here where Francesca is like walking through the mansion at night 
And then she runs into her dad and her boyfriend and then they kill some guards and then they run up. And I swear to God, Gino says, I think he says God, which I don't know if he thought that the person standing in front of him, which turns out to be Prospero, was God. Like, I didn't understand that at all. And maybe I misheard him. I thought he said guard. But a guard, I, I could, okay. I could be wrong. But uh, yeah, the reveal of like Prospero turning around in the uh, guard uniform, I thought was kind of funny because, like, mm-hmm. why would he go and dress up? Like, I mean, that was weird. Right? Because yeah. like, oh, yeah. why he wouldn't dress up like a common guard? And right, time, exactly. He's been toying with these guys ever since he got into the village. You yeah. Know? Um. I just wish. I wish his toying was more interesting, I guess. The part I I thought was decent was the knife scene. So kind of like the where he's finally going to pay it all off, I guess. Where like, you know, one of the five knives are poisoned. Yeah. But I just thought I thought the ending of it was 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 really anticlimactic because of the way it was edited together. Okay. Like it felt too quick. I I wasn't I didn't really get a good view of what was happening. Like did the father lunge at Prospero and then Prospero stabbed him or did Prospero just stab him? Um, like, I felt like that could have been clear. You know what? I agree with you. Um, I think Prospero was ready for the stab and he went to stab first because he okay. was, because uh, what was the father's name? Uh, Ludovico, uh, Ludovico. I, Ludovico yeah. yeah. I, I think he was ready to pounce on Prospero and Prospero could read his, could read his face like he knew what was going to happen um so mm-hmm. th- that aspect of the knife scene i like so much but the knife scene itself them picking you know which one is the poison sword uh, uh knife i thought it was really cool i thought the way they were cutting themselves was really cool um I, I thought it was great movie magic because those like those blood trails on the arms looked real i thought it looked really good hmm well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> it's just like they were cutting I I just, their arms for real. Like, obviously they weren't. Yeah. But uh, the way that was, it was right, right. portrayed, it looked really sweet. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I guess you're right. It did look good, but I was just so trying to figure out what the fuck I was watching. And like, I don't, I don't know. I was, I was distracted by other things, I guess. Sure. Like not outside like other things in the movie that i didn't it didn't strike me as something to like write down i guess or to remember but yeah um so so then we get like this i don't know like this dream sequence or like this psychedelic trip after she drinks this red liquid yeah um like what the fuck was i i i don't know the commentator did mention some stuff but i think i was nodding off <laughs> i i, I yeah. legit have no notes for this film because uh, i'm mm-hmm. to tap out um I, i'm not sure but the, i'm not sure what they really represented if they are all witch doctors in time that mm-hmm. are in satan's service I, I honestly don't know and it's interesting because at the end of it she mentions that like she says, like I've survived my own sacrifice, or something like that, and I, th- it felt like that was a reference back to this hallucination or this trip or this dream, whatever. But like it, I don't. Well, it doesn't, the, doesn't they really all seem like she was on an altar and that they're going to kill her. Mm-hmm. Like they make stabbing uh, motions, but you don't motions. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I I could not tell you exactly the significance of that uh, acid trip, or what, or hallucination, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Um, right. Yeah. To, to me, that was kind of 
left to the imagination, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then her death, like right afterwards, which I thought was terrible. So like she, one, she can't fight off one fucking falcon. <laughs> and two, like it, the bird and her whenever on the screen at the same time. So it just looked really shitty, I thought, which uh, whatever. It's a 19, film from 1964. But with all the other decent effects they had, I thought that one just didn't work at all. That's it. Now, if you were being attacked by a falcon, it's going to be pretty rough. You're going to have a rough time with it. Now, if it was like a crow or something, that's different. But a falcon's a bit of a majestic bird, you know, um, based out of Atlanta. Um, <laughs> I think that's know, fact. Sm- yeah. Smaller than an eagle. Uh, I, I, I still, it, it, is a, it is a mighty aerial predator. <laughs> I guess so. Claws like I know a they, they have this, yeah, they have this scene earlier that, you know, tries to establish it, but yeah. it uh, it clearly didn't work for me. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, okay, so what else? So we have... Oh, I thought I thought this was really weird. So Gino gets thrown out and then like the villagers coming up, they're going to like beg for forgiveness or whatever. Yeah. And then Gino's like, no, you're wasting your time. And then he's like, OK, I'm going to leave. And then he just picks up this little girl that's just standing there. and He's like, come on with me. My name's Gino. It's like, what the fuck? And the dude's like, wait, that's my daughter. <laughs> I thought that was the weirdest fucking thing. I'm like, why are you just picking up this little girl to take with you? You fucking weirdo. You know, what? Oh, I cracked my shit up. I didn't like Gino in this movie. I know he's supposed to be like the hero. Yeah. I just don't I like him. Either. I like this dad better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just felt that they were so uninteresting. Like there was nothing to either of them that I didn't give a fuck about if they died or lived or who killed who or what. Like, and it didn't even feel like Francesca cared either. Yeah. So it's like, if she's supposed to be their love, like, you know, a father and lover, like if she doesn't care. Why the fuck would I? I don't know. Yeah. That, that whole thing. And like, I just still had a problem with like, why are they there? Uh, and then like, so he mentions later on, I think this is much later, but Prospero says, I've never met someone with as much faith as I have or whatever. And he's talking about Francesca. And I'm like, wait, why? What? Like she literally wears a cross. And when he asks her if she believes, she says, yes, I believe in, in this Christian belief. And like, that's what else in this film has pointed to her being such a true believer? Like, I just thought that was so stupid and just really, really poorly done. Yeah. It didn't make sense to me. No, I agree with you. Same, same way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, then the, the, the fucking grown woman voicing the, the little girl was just <laughs> such a weird scene. Um, but looking now, I know why they did it, but it, it didn't work. They failed miserably at that point. But if anything, yeah. it's a casting issue. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely you know. right. Yeah. And then I was nitpicking. So we believe that we're supposed to believe that Hop Toad was able to lift, able to pull the rope and lift uh, fucking what's his name? Alfredo by himself. I'm like, really? They couldn't have somebody else pull on the rope with him? This guy weighs like 40 pounds. <laughs> yeah. That bugged me. You know what? I, I never even thought on me that. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's it. And that's what we always say. If you're enjoying it, you'll let little things go. You won't even notice them. If you're not, you just, you you know, you find things that bug you. And that's Wait. just what was happening here. He had a medieval strength. Yes. That's, you know? that's probably it. Yeah, you give him a tanker to me and lift anything. Right. Um. So then, well, what we thought was Satan at that, or what I thought was Satan at that point, but obviously it just turns out to be death. He inf- afflicts him with the red death, and then they start interpretive dancing. <laughs> I just didn't understand what was happening. <laughs> like, why are you dancing now? Well, again, I think the dancing is more like, you know, we're representing you're having an orgy with someone, 
it's an intimate dance. It's I, I it's like yeah, them fucking in nineteen sixty four. Yeah. So so to me, the, like the end party, like a guy gets killed. Nobody mm-hmm. gives a fuck. You know, he's like he's lit right. on fire. It must smell like from Munda with you know, with, with the suit <laughs> and whatever. Um people are still mm-hmm. eating and drinking, they don't give a shit. It's it's really yeah. it's it's Corman's representation of a good old fashioned orgy, a yeah. satanic orgy. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. At least that's how I took out how I took it, you know. Yeah, I get that. I love the line. Um, he says, Death says, each man creates his own God for himself, his own heaven, his own hell. I was like, Oh yeah, I like that line. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that line too. And that's kind of like it started getting my attention at that point. I was like, okay, this is this is cool. And it really reminded me a lot after it's all said and done of uh the seventh seal ingmar bergman have you seen that one i have not okay it's it's this similar idea where okay. you know death is you know, well in this that one death is literally playing a game of chess with this man and he's you know death is you know if he's gonna kill him or not blah 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 whatever um yeah. and so it, but his outfit was very similar to what death was wearing here except he was wearing black uh, versus okay. red it was very similar in style and idea. And when I was watching the um, special feature afterwards, he mentions that he actually waited to make Mask of the Red Death because he was worried that people would think he was just stealing the idea from Igmar Bergman's Seventh Seal. I was like, oh, okay. So obviously he knew that that was like something gotcha. that people would think about. And he didn't, he just decided he didn't care anymore. And so he decided to do it. But A very but similar aesthetic. Exactly. Interestingly, Corman considers this, he thinks this is the best film in the post cycle and his one of his best films, period. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of praise for this film. A lot of people mm-hmm. on Litterbox gave it five stars. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll give our rating soon enough, but uh, yeah. I found it yeah. uh, interesting. Right. So all of this, at the end of the day, is just death lurking around and wanting to plague a town. Prospero, he's just a piece of shit who eventually falls victim to death's wishes. That's what it is. So to me, this was just like the most allegorical way of showing a plague taking over that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, you're throwing out big words there. So I'm just going to nod in agreement uh, <laughs> at the microphone. Um, oh, man. But it's pretty yeah. much like death is a force of nature and you mm-hmm. cannot change. You can't stop nature, you know? Yeah. I thought, More like I thought by the end, I thought the imagery I thought was very decent at the end. Um, I liked, you know, Prospero being like taken over by all his dying, quote unquote, friends. Um, mm-hmm. And then like the bloody red Prospero actually being the one behind the mask. I thought that those moments were very cool. I liked those moments. But yeah. And, and then after that scene where all the different, uh, I yeah, guess, the different deaths. Different deaths, different diseases, different pestilences, all like, yeah. you know, the, the answer to no one because they are just mm-hmm. death. Like they have exactly. no master and they just sweep the countryside, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're also uh, forgiving because our Red Death did save six people. Yes. Yep. You know? um, mm-hmm. So they, they do cut a swath through the populace, but they're also merciful at the same time. Well, if they kill everyone, then they're out of the business, right? <laughs> True enough. They need to repopulate their crops somehow. Exactly. So that's pretty much it for me. Um, do you have anything else that you picked up on or that you wanted to talk about at all? Not really, no. Okay. So go ahead and oh, give you, uh, your final thoughts. Uh, my final thoughts. Yeah. Um, 
I'm going to be honest. I'm starting to get burnt out by the <laughs> Corman Poe cycle. Um, you know, I think I would have appreciated this film a little more if it was sooner in the arc or if it would have done two arcs or whatever. Um, I, I like Vincent Price a lot. I think he's great in this film. I think everybody's re- – it's a well-acted film. I'm just getting tired of Poe because it seems like the last three movies, it's really Poe by association, but it's not Poe on film. You know, The Raven it was – I don't know what kind of bullshit that was. Um, and then even with the, the last one, um, you know, it's it was more Lovecraft. Um, right. This, again, I don't know how much Poe is in it, but I'm just – I'm starting to – I'm getting a little fatigued by by it all, um, which I think is affecting my judgment on the film. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it's that's not fair. It just it is what it is. Um, because like back in '64, this film still made over a million dollars over the course of the year. Um, so people oh, were it? still getting a hunger for it. Yeah, I, I remember seeing a million. About- Okay. One or 1.25 mil in the hmm. first year of its theatrical run, according to the commentary. If I remember correctly, I didn't write it down. Yeah. Um, so it's still, it was still a moneymaker for, uh, for Corman. So obviously, you know, people were not tired of it. At the same time, they weren't watching, you know, eight films that are kind of all the same in the last seven weeks. So right. whatever. Um, woe is me, I suppose. You can't review in a vacuum. It's just, you know. No. You know, no, it, is exactly. it is exactly right. So Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I thought it's a, it's the nicest film. Um, I thought it left a lot to interpretation. Um, nobody's bad. Like even, even Alfredo, Patrick McGee played him. I liked the actor. I thought he was a great scumbag. So I really have nothing bad to say about the film apart from my own viewer fatigue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if I'm looking on my, uh, on my letterbox here, uh, with our rating, I would probably give this, uh, Ah, man, I'm going to give this uh, two and a half out of four. I'm almost leaning towards three, but I'm going to go two and a half. Okay. Excellent. So two and a half yeah. stars from Mark. Perfect. The Mask of the Red Death, it it feels like it's from a completely different world than any of these other Poe adaptations. But unfortunately, it didn't really deliver anything that I found worth watching. Um, the admittedly cool final like five minutes or so are not enough m- to make up for the 85 minutes of just complete mediocrity and lifelessness that I found with the film. Um, it, the film waits that long to finally clear up exactly what you're watching. But by that point, I just stopped caring. Um, it, it brings up questions of good and evil, Satan and God and death and so on, but it doesn't do anything interesting with any of them other than have our main character treat other people like shit. It's just not entertaining or interesting for me. Um, and I'm, I was just really disappointed by the whole thing. So for me, this was by far the weakest entry in, in the Corman Poe cycle. And I really hope that our final film next week can kind of redeem things once again. So like we talked about, as we're talking about it, you know, I did find some more things to appreciate. I, you know, like you said, none of the acting is bad. I thought all the acting was very great. Um, the use of color, I thought, was probably one of the best aspects of it. The costume design was good. Some of the effects were pretty decent. Um, so... Even with that said, I just didn't care. So I'm, st- I'm giving The Mask of the Red Death one and a half out of four stars. Wow. I, I have to, I, I really agree with you though. I think we're on the same page. Like, I wanted to yeah. like this film more. I just, mm-hmm. there's nothing, there's nothing in the, in the tank 
yeah <laughs> for this like right. i want to but i don't want to like a film just because everybody else likes it yeah no absolutely in this case it's good but i would probably not watch the infinite 10 years it, yep absolutely right yeah excellent so let's put that behind us and move on to yes. round f- wait i think i fucked up this is round 41 of the best holy thing, shit right is it oh my god holy, i hate when holy I Yep, round 41 of the Besting the Backlog Challenge. So this, of course, is where we try to conquer our personal backlogs one week at a time. And as a reminder, for this, we uh, take a look at each other's unwatched pile, be it their home video collections or one of the streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Instant Video, or Vudu, and pick one film that the other hasn't seen yet and challenge them to watch that film before the next podcast, where they then give a quick review of that film. So to remind everybody, Mark chose 2015's Green Room for me to watch. And I chose 2004's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind for Mark to watch. So, Mark, no pressure. This is one of my favorite films of all time. Okay. So let's uh, let's hear what your thoughts were. <laughs> I'm very interested. Well, I sat down to watch this two days ago, and I was not looking forward to it. Okay. At all. I was not in the mood for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a preconceived notion on the film, thus me... Having the film because I want to watch it, but not ever being in the mind frame to watch it. Yeah. Um, boy, was I wrong. Oh, um, yes. Yes. I fucking loved this movie. Um, I'm kicking myself. <laughs> I can hear it. Um, I'm kicking myself for not watching this sooner. Uh, my good friend, Ray Gilmino, it's his favorite film as well. And, uh, this felt for some reason i thought elijah wood was in the role of jim carrey oh I'm like, okay i don't want to see an elijah <laughs> wood romantic right. comedy like yeah. i like the guy but he's not a romantic lead um, neither is jim carrey uh for that matter but mm-hmm. i thought he was perfect in this role yes. it was heartbreaking it reminded me of a time when i was dating and how hard it is to find someone to really click with and right um you know i don't know how much of a big budget this film had but it felt like one of those quirky early 2000 um indie experimental love films and this mm-hmm. is exactly what it was um but it was it was fucking great um Again, it's written by Charlie Kaufman, so you know it has that uh, that um, uh, being John Malkovich vibe to it. You know the quirkiness of it all, mm-hmm. but you know the film starts and you've got oh, I got to go back here. What's his name? Is it Charlie? Uh, it's Joel and then Clementine. They meet, you know, uh, at a beach, at a frozen beach, and you know you find out they break up because they they just didn't click. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, they, they go back in their relationship, you know, because she's already gone through the procedure to erase his memory. So he does the same and realizes he really loves her. And, oh, man, it was, I, it's, it's funny. I expected to cry during this movie. I didn't. <laughs> I did not. But I almost did at the end. Um, I, I, you know, even though the film is like 15 plus years old, I still don't want to ruin it in case somebody else has not seen it before. Yeah, absolutely. But then yeah. when when you realize, you know, the blue hair and the timeline is like, wow, you know, it's like holy fuck. So yeah, man, I really loved it. I thought it was funny. It was quirky. Um, 
Kate's awesome. Jim's awesome. Um, Mark Ruffalo, again, awesome. Uh, yeah, it, it's I suck for not seeing this sooner. I really fucking suck. Um, again, I don't want to spoil anything, but I fucking loved it. Uh, Tom Wilkinson, he's awesome in everything he does. I think he passed away. No, he's not dead. Good. Good. Um, <laughs> well, good, good for Tom. For some reason, I thought, I thought he passed away last year. Um, yeah, like Kirsten Dunst. It's, it feels like a Sony picture indie label from the early 2000s, you know, when DVD mm-hmm. got really popular. And uh, yep. yeah, that's exactly, it's exactly what I thought it would be, but better. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I. I. I fucking loved it. I. Yeah. I. I gave it a full four stars. Like it's excellent. It's that good. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah. yeah this was one. I. I was um, tasked to in my last year of grad school to teach an undergraduate film course um, that looked at film history from uh, the French New Wave to today. Okay. And this was one of the films that my professor, because he was helping me like develop a course list and everything like that. It was one of the films that he um, used when he taught the class. And so I'd never seen it. So that's what made me watch it. And I just like, I mean, I have don't think I've ever fallen in love with a movie like I have with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It just hit me in all the right places. Like yeah. I watched it probably three or four times, like the first day or two that I watched it. Like, yeah, no, I can I see why. Love it. Yeah, it is one of the most, I mean, it's just one of the most brilliant films I've ever seen. I absolutely adore it. Um, and I, now I just want to watch it again. Like I'll probably watch it tonight. Like I just, I need to watch it again. But this yeah. is one that I, it needs to get like a criterion release. You need to get some large company that can really do it justice because there's only like a regular blu-ray release for it yes that's all like I it needs something better it needs something bigger and so yeah. I, I hope eventually that happens but i'm so fucking happy that you love that you loved it oh yeah uh i didn't think i i didn't think i i wouldn't like it like i thought at least i would like it because it's got so much acclaim but I just fell in love with the characters. I, I really did. Mm-hmm, it, exactly. Like, I know my this review I'm doing, if you want to call it that, is just me gushing. <laughs> um, but no. uh, that's how I feel about this film. It's mm-hmm. it's and it's not a sleepy hit. It's not a hidden gem. Like people know about this movie. I was just exactly too dumb to fucking watch it. You know. So even mm-hmm. though I bought it because I know I wanted to see it, I just didn't. <laughs> uh, I'm glad I finally. Uh, I f- I felt forced having to watch them. Like I, again, having just mm-hmm. watched Master Red Death, I'm like, ugh, I have no desire to see this right now. You know, like I just want to watch right. what I want to watch. And uh, <laughs> exactly, sometimes you just have to sit down and, and watch a film and just fall in love with it. Yeah, I love when typically comedic actors do like something other than comedy, like Jim Carrey yeah. in this role, for example. Uh, Will Ferrell yeah. in Stranger Than Fiction, I think, is another good example of that I really like. Um, okay. Um, there's there's like one that I always think about when I think of this, and it's for some reason just escaping my mind right now. But there's another one that I'm like, yeah, that is the perfect example of what I love. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. And it's just it when they're able to do it, it just blows me away like this one did. So I'm I'm very happy that you enjoyed it. Yeah. No, thank you for, uh, for uh, making me watch it. Absolutely. All right, so I watched Green Room, so I'll talk about that now. Okay. And I, I, I'm really glad that you picked Green Room for me, Mark, because mostly because it's the first film 
that anyone's picked for me on this segment that I only own digitally on Voodoo instead of like a physical Blu-ray. Okay. Um, and then if you'll remember, frankly, the only reason you knew I had this was because I mentioned it earlier in the show last yes. week. Yes. Um, otherwise, it probably would have just sat and sat there in my Voodoo pile unwashed for God knows how long. But um, anyway, so I ended up buying this sometime last year during like a big sale that Voodoo was running on Halloween 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, I got this one along with like neon demon the boy cell um a couple others and i paid like i want to say like five bucks for it or so so it was a really good deal but anyway i'm a huge fan of jeremy saulnier's uh film that came out before this one blue ruin so i knew i had to give green room a chance because i figured i'd at least like it given how much i enjoyed blue ruin so green room it's it's about this punk rock band that's like still trying to do whatever the hell they can to get by uh, doing what they love, you know, making music. So they agree to take this gig in this known white supremacist area. After they give their performance, they get paid. They're quickly tried to uh, get rushed out of their dressing room. Well, one of the characters, she leaves her phone in the room. So her bandmate goes to grab it for her. He walks into the room. He sees this group of people staring at this dead girl with a knife sticking out her head. So... Everyone panics and then the shit hits the fan. And essentially from there, it just becomes a survival film. Um, so what I love about Sonia's work, is, and excuse me if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I looked up a YouTube video to figure out how to say it. And I think that's right. Solnier, but Yeah, Solnier. Yeah, Solnier yeah. Okay. I don't think it's um, like Solnier. Okay. Yeah. Um, but what I love about Sonia is his ability to find, his ability to, to film calm moments in the most intense or chaotic situations. And that comes through in Green Room, just like it did in Blue Ruin. Um, Green Room is absolutely brutal and in an ultra-realistic way that makes it memorable as hell. It's deliberately paced, but never felt slow for me. Um, I was hooked from the start, and I was like on the edge of my seat as the action picked up. I genuinely wanted to see this, these neo-Nazis get shot in the fucking face and didn't know who, if anyone, would make it out alive, which is always exciting as a fan. Uh, as it's always exciting to watch as a fan of these types of films. Um, this is just—it's a really tense goddamn movie, and I could like feel my heartbeat picking up when they decided to like you know act on one of their plans or whatever. Um, the only negative I could say about the movie is that it felt like these neo Nazis may have been taking things a bit too far in terms of getting rid of the witnesses now i know they reveal more to this as it goes on but it's still it just it all felt a little bit much um it's difficult to really get into specifics because i don't want to i don't want to spoil anything but i'm honestly maybe someday we'll be able to like dive into this one a bit more like i'd love Mm -hmm. to do an arc where we can do like a full spoiler review of this don't breathe and like some other movies in this similar vein because to me these they're very similar but, after the after the Corman Poe arc, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, um, but you know, I'm gonna I'll leave it there. I leave it there for now. Um, even though I did, it did feel like a bit of overkill. I didn't mind it too much because it gave us some just badass moments that otherwise may not have worked. So, um, Imogen Poots, she yeah. has been a favorite of mine ever since her days back in 28 weeks later. And she's just a fantastic fucking actor. She does even better work here, I think, than in 28 Weeks Later. Um, And she's still just gorgeous as all hell. Um, And then alongside her is the late Anton Yelkin, 
which I honestly completely forgot that he passed away only about a year after this one came out, which is just so damn sad. Like he's such a fantastic talent. And it's so sad to think about like what else he could have done with his, with his talent in his life. Um, So I remembered that after the fact and I was like, oh man. Um, But then of course, Patrick fucking Stewart, which is, is just not someone you'd expect to see in a movie like this. But I mean, he's great in this role, which is, I feel like a very unusual role for him, but he does it so well. He's, um, evil Patrick fucking Stewart. Yes. It, oh, exactly. he's awesome in this role because yeah. you see him as Picard. Everybody sees him as Picard and Galdo's friend. Yeah. And here he's mm-hmm. evil Patrick Stewart. It's it's pretty yeah. cool to see. It is. It definitely is. I saw Patrick Stewart on in a play once, in a Shakespeare play. Um, ah, fucking, I know the play and it's escaping me right now. I feel like an idiot. But um he he was excellent. It was actually at the Stratford uh, Shakespeare Festival up in Canada. Really? And uh, yeah, he's just he's such a he's such a great actor, oh, yeah. whether it's on stage or in film. Like the man just has it, and uh, he's awesome. Yeah, that show is one of the better Shakespeare plays I've seen. He's he's a fucking. Was it force. Taming of the Shrew? No, it wasn't a comedy. It was uh, one of his dramas. Oh, okay. Um, and it was it had a lot of uh, like it's the one where they they're on the island. Um, he talks with fairies. Oh Jesus! Like. Why the fuck? Ah, I'm failing as a person with a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in the world of acting, and I can't fucking think of the name of the Shakespeare play. But Prospero, come on, Brandon. Good. Okay, I'm over it. I forget. <laughs> anyway, ah, uh, that pisses me off. But anyway, so when it comes to Sonia, though, I'd say Kid that Lear. while Blue, nope, ah. nope, not one of the histories. Okay, sorry. But anyway, no, you're fine. Uh, I'll remember it later. Okay. Anyway, um, so when it comes to Sonya, though, I, I'd say that while Blue Ruin is his masterpiece, Green Room is almost as good. So I'm giving Green Room three and a half out of four stars. Almost a four. Yeah, I really, really liked it. Good. But obviously you love this one as well, right? I loved it. It was uh, the yeah. number one film at uh, in Austin that year. Okay, very cool. Oh, yeah, like... I think it won uh, audience award too. Like it ranked the top. It was the best of the best that year. I I just oh, it was so good. Yeah. It was just so to watch it again for the first time. Oh man, <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah, it was it was it was very very enjoyable. And the the play that I saw him in was the Tempest. Ah, the Tempest. Yeah, I told you uh, I remember it, but yeah. So yeah, based off the video game. <laughs> <laughs> is there even a video game called the tempest i don't even know it's called it. tempest it's like an old atari game oh you're right has, yes it has nothing to do with uh no, obviously yeah but yeah that's funny all right so now that i've been able to con- figure that out anyway so mark we have to figure out what yeah. we're going to talk about next week over uh for episode 42 or uh, edition 42. 42 yep exactly 42 so I I know what you're watching. Okay, perfect. Okay. So uh, I will give you yours. You're, I'm going to have you watch a, a recent yeah. pickup of yours. Okay. So I was going to have you watch a porn. <laughs> oh. But uh, I I decided that I wasn't going to do that for this week. So uh, maybe Aww. in the future. Um, but okay. This might have a lot of nudity in it anyway. Malibu High yes. from 1979. Ah, okay. Uh, funny enough, the actress in this film it's her only film credit. Oh, okay. So why? Well, we'll find out next week. Exactly. I guess we will find out soon. Excellent. So what the hell do I get to watch for next week? 
Well, I don't own this film, but I saw it on Netflix, ooh, maybe two years ago, and I liked it a lot. Okay. Because I love the actors in it. You are going to watch 2013's Welcome to the Punch. Oh, okay. McAvoy, Mark Strong, Peter Milan. Very good film. Very good. How the, why the fuck do I own this? I don't <laughs> I don't know. I, don't I was very know. happy to see that. I oh, think good. McAvoy had a string of like direct-to-video films okay. in the last like five six years, and they're all fucking amazing because the guy awesome. is awesome. This is so, so outside my wheelhouse. Like I watch so little like crime thrillers, so I'm excited. This should yeah. be cool. Excellent. Yeah, I remember so, really like good. Who's the actress? Andrea Riseborough? I don't I, know who that is. I, 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 she doesn't ring a bell for me. Uh, let me yeah. just go back to my uh, IMDb here. Oh, she was um, in Oblivion, which we actually discussed in the podcast in like episode three or four or something. Maybe oh, two. that's before my time. Uh, yeah. She's in Birdman, Nocturnal Animals, which I haven't seen yet. Oh, oh, she's in an episode, of Black, an episode of Black Mirror. Oh, really? Oh, oh, the new episode. She, okay. Oh, okay, it's an episode I, uh, that isn't released yet. That's why. Oh, gotcha. Oh, she's in Battle of the Sexes, which just got released, which I want to see. Hmm. She's in Mindhorn that just got released on Netflix a few months ago. Anyways, yeah, she's got quite a few things under her belt, so. Perfect. So, Mark, you'll be watching 1979's Malibu High. Yeah. And I will be watching 2013's Welcome to the Punch. Fantastic. So that's going to wrap things up for this week. So remember, we will be back next week, Friday, November 17th, to wrap up the Corman Poe cycle with a review of 1964. <laughs> and now you're clapping. Good. <laughs> uh, uh, review of 1964 is the Tomb of Legia. I don't really know how to say that, but hopefully I'll figure it out by the time we uh, record next week. But uh, And that one is available on Vincent Price Collection 2, so make sure you check that one out before next week. And we also will reveal what our next podcast arc will be, which is always an exciting time for all of us here at the show. Yes. So as yes, as always, if you have a question for us here at the podcast, please hit us up using that hashtag in film we trust for all the questions you'd like us to answer. We'd love to be able to bring back that week in uh, or question of the week segment and you can help with that. If for some reason you're, you're not on Twitter, give us a call at 1-302-448-TALK or email us at contact at cinefessions.com for any questions that you might have for us. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, or wherever else it might be that you're listening to us. Positive reviews help us get more listeners, so we really appreciate you taking the time to leave us that review and for telling your friends about the show. And another reminder, you can always reach us on social media. We love interacting with you guys there. You can find us at Cinefessions on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, so make sure you're following along on all those platforms. And Mark, remind our listeners how else they can find you online. Uh, you can get me on Twitter with 280 characters now at uh, Mark underscore Nadeau, yeah. uh, M-A-R-C underscore N-A-D-E-A-U, or on Instagram, which has become now my platform of preference at uh, mnado 2 Fantastic. And you can follow me on my personal Twitter feed at Simon1, that's P-S-Y-M-I-N-1, and I'm also on Letterboxd at that same name, Simon1. And remember... Yeah. And make sure you guys remember to check out the Cinefessions Podcast Special Edition Volume 1 on iTunes or YouTube, where Mark and I review Jigsaw. Jigsaw. Hells yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, Mark. I had a blast as always. No, thank you, sir. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. All right. So I want to thank everyone for listening to episode 111 of the Cinefessions Podcast. And remember, in film, we trust. We'll catch you next time. 
actually sounds like me being on helium. You know, like my favorite song is 99 Love Balloons, uh, just because it's so catchy, you know, 99 Love Balloons. This is how I sign, but I'm not Nina. Hmm. You know? 